0: Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody. Doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, Go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. So, all right, how we doing at the, what, what time is it, 9.30 a.m.? We ready to roll into Relationship Goals Part 4. Um, I'm Bryant, Lee, pastor here. It's my wife, Nicole, if you didn't know. And we're in this series. It's a little different. We're team teaching this. We've never done it before. Um, probably the first rule of relationships is don't preach a series together. And so uh, if you're ever tempted, don't do it. But actually, we've been fairly Yeah, you
1: downplay. It's been great. It's been, it's been good. For the most
0: part. Um, so... Here's what we're talking about in this series. And unlike any other series, I'd say this one really hinges on each other. And so if you haven't been here, I don't always say this, but go back if you get the time, listen to it, watch it, Centerpoint Church, Florida on the app, you can go find the CC app, you can, um, any podcast catcher, but it really does build. And so I'd love for you to go back and listen to those. So I'm not going to review anything. But here's the big idea in one sentence, like what should be the goals in regard to our relationship? And a lot of times, like we love that hashtag, we never actually define it. And it's possible to have a goal that's leading us to a destination that we don't actually want relationally. So here's what we're going to talk about today. And this is so huge. I'm going to kind of tease this out a little bit. And Nicole's going to read a few verses in a second. But um, this idea that we're going to talk about is especially important maybe if you find yourself in a relationship right now where there's some conflict which is, that's honestly kind of dumb to say because every relationship has conflict, but I mean, it's kind of characterized by conflict right now. And what I would say is what we're about to talk about um, might be the reason that you have conflict or the absence of this may be the reason you have conflict. And I think that this thing that we're gonna talk about is the most difficult thing in any relationship. And honestly, like organizational relationship, like work relationship, whatever, and especially marriage relationship. And I think it's one of the most misunderstood things um, in any relationship. Because what we're about to talk about is a decision that you don't think is a decision. In fact, you are making this decision generally every day, every week. I think it's safe to say because what we're about to talk about, it just happens constantly in relationship. But it feels like a reaction. It doesn't feel like you have a decision or a choice in the matter. And one of the things you're going to hear us say probably 30 times in the next 30 minutes is you have a choice. Like it is a decision whether you realize it's a decision or not. So um, there's a letter that Paul wrote. We've been looking at Paul several times. Um, generally, he's quoted a lot at weddings, and we misinterpret it. And it's honestly what he wrote is much more raw than what we love to airbrush and, and talk about at weddings. But he wrote this literature um, on love. And one of the big backdrops to what Paul wrote was the fact that he was writing to a lot of Gentile and Jewish Christians, but a lot of Gentile Christians who were a part of like these pagan religions. And I don't mean like pagan derogatory, but like pagan in regard to, they served all of these Greek and Roman gods that literally did not love people. So in our Western view of God, even if you're not sure about the God thing, if there is a God, you probably think, well, at some level he probably likes, or, you know, tolerates people, or, or, you know, there's some kind of, you know, he he puts up with people, he loves people, he's kind to people, not the Greek and Roman gods of the first century. They, They didn't like people. In fact, the gods even were a part of the class system of the culture. I've talked about this before, but like if you were lower middle class, you got like a JV god that could barely grow your crops. If you were wealthier, you got a better god. You know, you got maybe Zeus. You were top of the line. He could rain down lightning or fire from heaven. Um, But that's how the god system worked, and they didn't, literally didn't like people. And so the whole culture was they had to take these sacrifices and try to appease the gods try to get the gods off their back, try to make sure that things were well enough that the gods weren't gonna light them up. And and so literally there was no morality and no ethics in the first century among how they viewed lowercase g gods. And so Paul comes along to like, I wanna explain to you what I believe is the one true God, Yahweh, um, who's come in the form of Jesus, who is God and represents God the Father to go, hey, the whole system is changing. And so no longer is it just this vertical relationship which honestly, 2,000 years later, we're still trying to catch up with this because we love to just make it vertical relationships. Sing a song, come, offer whatever your version of a sacrifice is, bring your big Bible, you know, do whatever the religious thing, stand up, sit down, go your way, I'm good, and then you can treat people however you want. And Paul comes along to go, no, no, that's not it any longer. No longer is relationship with God just characterized by the vertical. Now, if you want to please God, if you want to know the level of your love for God in the vertical relationship, it's all about the horizontal relationship. So I'm not really that interested in your sacrifices anymore. They're cute. That's great. Keep your bulls and goats. Um, your big Bible's amazing. I love that you come and, and raise your hands in worship and you attend a service every week. I'm all for that. But if you are not loving the people around you, especially in the relationships that matters most, Paul's about to say in his writing, it means nothing. Nothing. Like, you can have all the theology in the world, you can have all the talents in the world, and if you are not characterized by not, oh, I love God, no, no, no. How are you loving the people around you, specifically marriage relationship, the people that you are married to, that'll tell you everything about your relationship with God. Paul would say, otherwise, you're just a self-righteous, pharisaical idiot with lots of Bible knowledge. Paul didn't say it that way, that's my paraphrase. That's basically what Paul was saying. And so he's going like, so this is how it looks. Relationship here. Is determined by how your relationship is here. And so then he goes on to define it and he talks about these really familiar verses about this is what love looks like. Here's what it's characterized by. And then at the end of this section that we're going to look at, Paul talks about this decision. And when Paul writes about it, it seems like, Paul, you're super educated and your writings are amazing. I think you're a little naive. Like I think what you're writing, I don't think that that's doable. I don't think it's realistic. And so Paul kind of unpacks it and explains it. I'm just telling you, this decision that we're going to talk about is amazing, and Paul articulates it in a you're crazy preach
1: the whole message. No, or give me nah, a you, you can
0: nah, you can read it. So
1: <laughs> I'm just joking, kind of. All right, so um, we're going to start in First Corinthians 13:4, and like Brian said, a lot of these verses are going to be very familiar to you, but um, we're going to land on a certain section that I think. Um, will hopefully be something that grabs your attention. And so First Corinthians 13 verse 4 starts out, love is patient. And we've been talking week after week about this is love as a verb. It's something you do it until you feel it. You can't just look at this verse and say, all right, I'm out because I don't, I'm not in love anymore. No, 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 this is a choice. So love is patient. Patient means that you're going to give the other person more time than you think they deserve more time than you want to give them. You're going to give them the time that they need. So love is patient. Love is kind. It defers to the other person. It does not envy. In other words, it doesn't get jealous. And I think we could all admit that jealousy is probably one of the things that derails most relationships better than anything else. It's jealousy. It does not boast or one-up. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others or create regret. And I want to talk specifically to Jesus followers right now. Um What this verse is talking about is that you don't want to end up being a story in someone else's counseling session. You really want to make sure that when you are interacting in relationships that you're honoring the other person um, so that you're not creating regret and baggage for them later on in their life. And so... Um, that verse is huge. It, it doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Those are pretty self-explanatory. Um, I love this next line because, gosh, do we all need this. It keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, um, you aren't in relationship with a huge filing cabinet ready to pull out every list of wrongs that your spouse or partner has ever done. And so we have a quick illustration about this. Um, I, honestly, it's going to make me look really bad, but that's fine. I'll take one for the team. But um,
0: I literally don't know what your illustration is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he's real nervous right now. But do
0: we have an illustration? We do. We yes, do. We
1: know, and we talked about this. Whether so we can
0: talk about it on stage. You've
1: is, forgotten is about it conveniently. but um, So several years ago, um, he was asking if I had followed through on something. I had several responsibilities and he was asking if I had followed through on something and now to,
0: I remember yes
1: to the best of my ability I had okay so there were some things with this situation I can't go into too much detail so you just have to trust me on this for the best of my ability I had there were a couple of things that were outside of my control and so you know um, when you
0: have an involuntary reaction that you not <laughs> and it just comes out and then the moment it comes out like, you know you're going to be backing out of that for the next, how long ago was that? Oh, I
1: think it's probably been six or seven six years. Six or
0: seven years? like. So,
1: um, so anyway, so he was asking if I had followed up on every single responsibility, right? And I was like, you know what, there was this one thing that actually didn't get done. And his reaction has followed him now for seven years. And this was the only reaction he gave, right? He just stood there and looked at me, in, like blank face, so just this exact face. And <laughs> you just looked at me, and he goes, wow. And that was it and I lost my crap. Okay. And I'm just gonna tell you now, every time that there's a situation now where he like forgets to do everything he said he was gonna do, I just look at him this and comes I go up
0: once a month. Wow. Easy. Easy. <laughs>
1: wow wow but anyways so that's been in my filing cabinet I think it will remain but for the rest of you you don't want to have a filing cabinet okay so keeps no record of the wrong um verse six it does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth and now it's almost like Paul takes a deep breath and he's like okay how can I summarize basically um this big idea of what love is and what love always does and so he gives verse seven he says this love always protects it always trusts it always hopes And it always perseveres. And one of these doesn't make sense because if you're thinking logically here, you're like, okay, three of those I can absolutely do. I have control over, right? So I can always protect, I can always hope, and I can always persevere. Like the ball's in my court for those things. Those are choices that I make. But Paul, always trust is really dumb to put in here because that's not dependent on me. That's dependent on the person I'm in relationship with. Like they make the choice of whether or not I'm going to trust them. They make the choice of whether or not they're going to be trustworthy. And this is where Paul um, gets us because the Greek translation of always trust actually puts the responsibility on us. Because the Greek translation of it is that you always believe or you believe everything. In other words, you've heard the statement, believe the best of someone. And that's what Paul is getting across to us is that we are to always believe the best of someone. And when you put it that way, now the responsibility is on us. It is a choice. We can choose whether or not we're going to believe the best of someone or whether or not we're going to just only choose the gross, yucky stuff about them and live in distrust.
0: And it's like it sounds, this is the point, it sounds naive. When Paul writes it, it sounds like, are you kidding me, man? But and, and so we'll get back to that because immediately you have all your stories like, OK, well, literally what we just talked about this morning or what's happened or the three times before. And so I get all that. So I hang on to that for a second. But th- the point is, as we're going to see in a second, um, even with all of your stories and I get those hang on to those. You have a choice yeah. in something that you didn't realize you had a choice over because yeah. you've always thought it was reactionary. It's always based on them. Now, here's how I would describe this. This is the best thing I learned from seminary from a mentor of mine. It maybe is the only thing that I really got out of seminary, um, but no, I'm just kidding. It was it was good. But this is by far. you can loosen up
1: a little bit. Come on. Um, above up, everything
0: else, uh, I, my big takeaway because this is the best way I've ever heard this explained. So I'm going to use this illustration. But in every relationship. Um, everybody's got expectations. And I don't mean in the way that we've been talking about for the last three weeks. So I don't mean an expectations based relationship. I just mean the like legit expectations of, you said you're going to be home at five. You said that you weren't going to spend that. You said that you weren't going to buy that on Amazon. You said you weren't going to buy those seven things on Amazon. Um, you said, wow, that, uh, <laughs> you just give an example. You, you yeah. said that like you were not gonna have that conversation, you were gonna have that conversation, you were gonna unload the dishwasher that we agreed on, whatever. Like all of those things, some of them are big, some of them are smaller, but constantly in relationship, there are expectations, even if you don't have an expectations-based relationship, and then, just be real, there's what you actually experience. So in every relationship, you got expectations about stuff. If you just looked at your last week, No matter how amazing your relationship is or how good you think things are right now, I bet at some level there was a divide between some expectation you had and then what you actually experienced from them. Um, I won't give too many examples here. We'll just keep rolling. But my point is this. In every relationship, in every relationship, in every relationship, there is always gaps between what you expected and what you experienced from time to time. Probably on a weekly basis because we're flawed human beings that don't get everything right. But there is always a gap. And then here's the thing that I'm going to say 30 more times. You get to choose how you respond in the gap. Mm -hmm. And you don't think you do because it's all about what they said and what they said they were going to do and what they actually did or what they actually didn't do. And so they have forced me into a response because they're an idiot. They've forced me into a response because they didn't do what they said they were going to do. And so I I have to respond this way. I have no other option. And if you don't get anything else out of today, you think it's naive, that's fine. But I'm just telling you, when you don't get what you expected, what your experience is not what you had agreed upon, there is a gap and you get the choice of what you're going to put in the gap. And you're going to put one of two things. When that gap is created where they came home at 6.30 and not 5.00, when they bought and you would agree that you were going to save, they went there anyway. And you said that like you, you both thought that you were on the same page there. And so just what you expected didn't happen. And then the gap forms, you have the choice of whether you are going to assume the worst about them or whether you're going to believe the best and and assume the worst is I knew you're going to do that. I knew you're going to be late. The last time, last year every single time you always you don't care about our relationship you don't respect me if you respected me you would would and we start attaching all kind of things to their motives and why they did it and what they're thinking and we have imaginary conversations with them before they walk in the door and then they come in and you're mid-conversation and you just start and you're like what are we even talking about like all that stuff that happens you know what I'm talking about and so but you have the choice am I gonna just assume the worst or am I going to believe the best? To believe the best is what, I, they probably had an explanation. They, there's probably a reason. Their phone probably got eaten by something like, and they couldn't text back. There was a, whatever. But I, I'm going to, and I'm just telling you, you have a decision to make that you didn't realize was a decision. And when the gap is created, you are going to believe the best about them and about their motives or you, you are going to assume the worst. Um, a few years ago, there was this, uh, some of you are familiar with the author, Marcus Buckingham. If you're in leadership or business, maybe you've read some of his books, a brilliant writer. Um, and, and a number of years ago, I don't remember when this was published, he wrote a book called The One Thing You Need to Know. And a lot of it was was about like organizational um, leadership and relationships and so forth. But in this book, um, he makes a point that actually makes Paul's point. And in the book, he cites this 20-year study. And in any study last 20 years is pretty legit. Like That's a long time. But for 20 years, um, there was a group that researched and studied great relationships, and by great relationships, I don't mean relationships that are like, oh, we just figured it out, we grinded it out, we decided to compromise, we worked through it, da, da, da. and you know, we're still together for the kids. I don't mean that. I mean like great relationship, like three, four decades in, these people would sit down and it was just like, we, like we're in love. Our relationship is great. It's better than it was in decade one, like truly great relationships, And they surveyed and studied these relationships, and they were looking for a common denominator in all of them. So they did this for 20 years. And they had assumptions coming into the study, because anytime you do a study, you have assumptions about what you're going to find, right? And so their assumption, as they studied these relationships in terms of the common denominator, their assumption was that over time... The partner or the spouse of the other person downgraded their view or expectations of the other person to make the marriage work. Because that, again, like we looked at, I think in week two, that's kind of what we think is a good relationship. We just need to compromise, which is terrible advice. Well, we, just need, we just need to work it out. We just need to, what, you give a little bit, I, I give a little bit. You go back and listen to those messages, but that's not the way forward. And so they just thought, well, the common denominator of great relationship is that everybody just downgraded their expectation and view of the other person over time in terms of values, character, motives, all that stuff. So they did a study, 20 years. They found the exact opposite in the study. And in fact, they went to incredible lengths where they surveyed one another, asked all these really intense questions, and then they kind of read the feedback back, and so you would be surveyed about your spouse. And every single time in these great relationships, when they surveyed the spouse, their answers would come back as they, them having a higher view and higher expectations than the spouse had of themselves. That literally when it came back, like, it was I view you better than you view you. I see you better than you. My expectations of you are actually higher in decade four than they were in decade one, which is not at all what they expected. And they literally came to this conclusion. Love actually is blind. And again, it seems naive, so we'll get to your, your pushback in a second. But they came to the conclusion that they literally had unrealistically positive views of their spouse or partner. That over time, in a culture specifically of over and over again, where they would believe the best, I'm going to believe the best, I'm I'm not going to go to assume the worst, yes, conversations have to be had sometimes, but I'm going to believe the best about this person, that they literally developed an unrealistic, positive view that was even greater than what their spouse had of themselves, and vice versa in those relationships. And literally, this was kind of their takeaway at the end of it, the study recommendation was this, is that in relationship, you need to find, I love this language, the most generous explanation of each other's behavior and then believe it. Mm. Like four of you are like, yeah, the rest of you are like, nah, you don't, You haven't <laughs> been in my marriage. Because I know it sounds crazy. Here's the other thing they said, and I'm not going to use the language they used because I felt like it was too like, eh, whatever, it makes me uncomfortable to even say it. But um, they talked about this spiral of love that I just like, eh. Um, so I'm going to put it in guy terms. There's like this pyramid thing that they talked about that this is how it worked, or basically this is what it created in the relationship. When they chose to create that kind of atmosphere, believing the best, literally they said the illusion created a conviction in those relationships. And then the conviction actually led to security. And they made a choice to do it over and over again. And, And the security ultimately led to intimacy. Now here's the thing in relationship, when you are secure in relationship, there's much higher levels of intimacy. And you know what intimacy is, right? Intimacy could be described as like a fearless self reveal. Mm. Like I don't have to hold back, I don't have to measure myself, I don't have to, I can like just kind of make all of me available to all of them. Side note, that's what create great sex in relationship. It has everything to do with security that leads to intimacy that's fueled by trust. Not sexual technique, that's good too, but it has everything to do with, sorry, uh, everything to do with, um, I just lost my, it had everything to do, like I don't know where that came from. I'm just
1: going to sit here and let him, uh, (laughs) I could help you, but I'm not going to. Filter
0: at the 930. So my point, illusion created conviction, conviction led to security, security fostered intimacy, and then the intimacy fostered love, and then literally the cycle started all over again. And the love led to the illusion that created a conviction. And again, in like decade three, decade four, this is what described these people's relationship. And here's the thing. In this study, in about every secular study you'll find, just if you're not Jews Jesus follower, you can just forget the Bible for a second if you're listening via unfiltered radio, bunch of you skeptical that tune in, podcasts, online. Forget that for a second. In every secular study, here's what they'll say, is that in great relationships, both individuals go to ridiculous lengths mm. to trust And to believe the best about the other person. So last thing on this, because you're gonna accuse me of talking too much, is I I just want to reiterate, you always have a choice you actually have a decision when there's a gap about what you're going to do.
1: Yeah, and, and some of you are like, okay, well, what do I do about my past? What about what do I do about who I am? And so let's talk about that for a minute because there are two things that make it very difficult for us to trust, right? And the first is, is what we've experienced in our past. And so um, he said, she said, um, he did, she didn't, he saw, he went, she... You know whatever, we have a whole laundry list of things that we've experienced that doesn't measure up with what Brian and I are talking about right now. And so you're thinking like how am I going to be able to trust based on our experience already? And then the other thing that plays into whether or not you're going to be able to trust is who you are. And for a lot of us, how we were raised, what we saw from our parents, what we saw in our home. Um, Some of you, you work for a boss who has absolutely no integrity, and so you're constantly taking the fall for his or her bad decisions. Um, Maybe you had a terrible ex, husband, wife, whatever, and um, that person truly was not trustworthy, and it puts you in a very difficult, somewhat even dangerous situation. And so um, what happens is, is that certain behaviors, whether they're good or bad, but certain behaviors trigger you, and all of a sudden, you're triggered, and you go into this place of distrust, you put up the walls, and for you, it's self-protection, right? You're trying to make sure that what happened in the past does not happen again, Um, but there is nothing gained from distrust absolutely nothing and if you're really wanting a healthy relationship if you're wanting to see what Jesus can do in the relationship you're currently in you have got to start making the decision to trust because here's what happens when we aren't trusting we create an atmosphere of suspicion and suspicion communicates rejection and I know this firsthand because um, believe it or not when we got married I had absolutely zero trust and I honestly did not realize, like, I did not come into the relationship, like, hoping to, you know, flip into crazy woman and, ha I got you. No, I really didn't know I had that much crazy in me, okay? I did not know I had zero capacity to trust. But I had been raised in environments where um, there was absolutely no trust, where suspicion ran amok. And so everything that we did was questioned or st- I mean, we were told at different times that they were, like, spies and people watch- – I mean, it was just crazy things. Like, people would sneak into the school and watch. It was ridiculous. Anyways, I could go on and on. But it was just – you were constantly dad on edge. didn't it. Work
0: for the CIA, but there was, like, this um,
1: – Yeah, this organization that mention, it was yeah. very legalistic, fundamental, so they watched everything. Anyways, we're getting off track. But – um, this is why I've been counseling for 10 years. I'm good. So, but the thing, <laughs> the thing is, is that it created an atmosphere of rejection. And so I carried rejection and abandonment feelings into our marriage, unbeknownst to either one of us, until I started like literally questioning and overthinking everything he did. Like we joked last service, but this wasn't far from the truth. Like he'd be going to the grocery store. I was like, where are you going? Well, who are you going to see? Are you going to stop anywhere? Like, why do you have to go to the I'm grocery to store right Walmart. now? You know, like it's just craziness. And so what ends up happening is that drains the other person and puts all this weight on the other person, and there's no win in the relationship. And so I think that's what we're trying to get across to you is, like, I know some of you, and I I understand it. Like, I had been hurt deeply, and I really thought that um, coming into relationships from the basis of I'm not going to trust you unless you earn it was self-protection for me, but it ultimately ended up being very dangerous for our relationship.
0: And one of the things we were talking about, like, a lot of this can come from, it was a work situation, it was a bad experience with your parent at 14, it was, you know, whatever. But a lot of religion creates as well. So if you're in a really um, toxic religious environment, where there is environments, whether it's a church, an organization, a ministry, where there is little grace, you will find lots of suspicion. Those two things go hand in hand. So where there is low grace... There's lots of suspicion every single time. And it's why religious systems, not the grace and relationship of Jesus, I think religion is something different. It's why it's so unbelievably toxic. It's not neutral, it is toxic. And so there's no win. And here's the thing we do in relationship to to shift over a little bit, is a lot of times you will, you're building something up where maybe because of what is in your background. And again, I know they said and they did, and again, we'll talk about that. But a lot of times it's what you're bringing in and the gap is created, and you don't trust, and so you just feel like, well, I just need to get it out and let them know I don't trust them. And so you have, eventually, it kind of culminates in some big argument, and you just, you got to get it off your chest. So, hey, the problem is I just don't trust you. And in that moment, you're like, oh, I feel so much better. I, like, I just need to get that off my chest. The problem is what you did in that moment is so destructive yeah. in the relationship. And Because I just want to tell you, because sometimes you can't fully get the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. And the moment you do that, what happens when somebody communicates distrust is it shuts relationship down. Even if you may think you have reason to trust, I'm just telling you, there's a way to approach it, we'll look at it in a second, that keeps the door open. But you may feel better because you got it off the chest. The relationship is not better. Yeah. Like, there's no way. See, here's the thing I would say. It's not only a suspicion, uh, expression of rejection. Suspicion literally is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Because you are created to be drawn to environments of acceptance, and so when you are not, there's all kinds of problems. And when you start to create an environment and an atmosphere that always goes suspicious in your relationship, I'm just telling you, the other person eventually will be so calculated mm-hmm. and so like walking on eggshells and so measured with everything they do and everything they say, and they're going to seem shady and up to something even when they're not up to something. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally you set them up. You set them up. For the very thing that you fear the most, you just need to know this. Suspicious environments are self-fulfilling prophecy. It's why you have got to be at some level aware of who you are in any relationship. I know what they said and what they did, we'll get there, chill. But there is stuff that you're, and you're so hyper-focused on the circumstance and what they did and the fact that they came in late, that you're not realizing that there's some stuff that you've drugged for the last 16 years. And there's a disproportionate response because you're still carrying the distrust from another season, another relationship of your life. And so it's why Paul comes back around to go, like, you, you got to deal with this. And by the way, I, I know the pushback is like, well, you never, you just ignore everything, just be naive, get trampled over. Just, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's moments where, Where Nicole talked about this in a second, you have to have a conversation, but even in that, rather than coming with all of your accusations and I don't trust you and here's why I don't trust you and here's what I think your motives were, you come and have that conversation with the standpoint of, listen, I I trust you, I want to trust you, but there's some gaps in the relationship and we just need to talk about them. And just that keeps the door open to that relationship and conversation. But when you come with accusations first and throw out the I don't trust you, I'm just telling you, that other person closes down like this. And it's hard to get traction forward. And so it's why to come back to those verses that Paul talked about before, here's the application of those verses in light of what Paul's trying to say. And I'm going to throw those um, to you. Oh, wow. You want to take oh, okay. yeah. All
1: right. It's because I complained last service about yeah. not speaking enough. All right. He's put me on the spot here. So 1 Corinthians thirteen six again, he says, Love's, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. In other words, love isn't trying to catch the other person trying to do something wrong. Um, love isn't building a case. It's not keeping score of the past. It, it, it puts the filing cabinet away. Um, love always protects, protects from suspicion, decides to fill the gap with trust. It always trusts, it believes all things, it chooses a generous explanation, even when it's one of the most difficult things to do, it chooses, always hopes, trends positive, and always perseveres. Perseverance implies that there is going to be resistance at times. There is going to be those gaps that, man, you're going to have to talk about. But it comes in humbly and willing to hear um, the explanation. And so I think what what we're ending today with is this, this question. Do you tend to assume the worst or do you tend to believe the best? And what I wanted to put on the screen, and Bryant said absolutely not, so I'm going to say it anyways and hope no one gets offended. Are you an ass Because <laughs> you know what happens when you assume, right? I mean, come on. Those of you that are like, I cannot believe she said that. You've been thinking it the whole time. All right? Um, so are you an assumer or are you a believer? Are you going to assume the worst? Are you going to believe the best? And I'm going to tell you this. Suspicion is telegraphed. So if you are a suspicious person and you think you're hiding it, you're not. And everybody around you knows you're suspicious. Everybody around you is uptight and on edge because they cannot relax. They cannot feel safe around you because of your suspicion. But it is your choice every time. And here's something catchy for you to keep in the back of your mind. When you can't trust, when, when, when you can't, you confront But you come in humbly. You don't want to throw out accusations or bring out the filing cabinet. No, you come up and you say, listen... I really, it's what Brian said, I really, really, really want to trust you, but I'm having trouble. Can you help explain this situation to me? So, like, for instance, um, and you did not know I was going to bring this up to you, but we're going to have to talk about this later, but Friday night we had a wedding to go to, and I was very, very clear that the wedding started at 4.30, and it was off of Lumpston, which is heavy traffic at that time, and we needed to be there at 4 because it was outside, and you know outside weddings, if you're late, everybody sees you, right? Amen. So I said, we need to be on time. It's our day off. There's no reason why we should not be able to be on time. My niece got there at 3:30 because I really wanted to be on time. So she came at 3:30. Bryant decided at 3:15 to get his hair cut. So he goes to get his hair cut, he comes rolling in at 3:50 and I was like, "Oh, I forgot to iron all my clothes." I said, "Babe, you've been here all day." I don't understand, right? And so anyways, this has been a constant conversation for us and we're going to talk about it, Jesus, it later because now, you are chronically late. Now. But later I will give you the opportunity to give me a generous explanation and I'm gonna believe the best. But here's the thing.
0: There is some <laughs> <laughs> there's some inaccuracies in that story that I'm not <laughs>
1: But I have the mic and you gave it to me. So here's here's the options that we have. If we are not gonna believe the best, so these are my options that I'm gonna have to wrestle with for the next couple of hours. Am I gonna delight in uncovering mistakes? He legit didn't know I was gonna bring up that story. These are legit laughter, uncomfortable, whatever is going on over here. So, um, and all our families here, because Case got dedicated, so you're welcome, guys. Anyways, delight in uncovering mistakes. You're going to thrive on speculation, you're going to assume the worst, and you're going to embrace doubt. Those are going to be the things that you're going to do if you're not going to believe the best. And quite honestly, like, that just sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like a great way to live? Like, of course it doesn't. That sounds awful. Um, And I, I think what we oftentimes forget is it's so emotionally draining to live there. Um, and I think some of us think it's going to be so much harder to trust. No, it's so much harder to be delighting and uncovering mistakes and thriving on speculation, assuming the worst, embracing the doubt. And what you have to think about is, is, like, what kind of relationship advice would you give someone, like your kids or someone who came up to ask you? Like, some of you are like, okay, here's the relationship advice I would give them. I would say this. All right, here's what you got to do. You need to lay a trap, and then you just need to Wait. Because one day they are going to fall into it and you will be right. Of course not. That's not going to be the relationship advice you're going to give somebody. Um, And so we have to make a choice. There's going to be gaps. In good relationships, there's gaps. There's always gaps. You have to make the choice. And what we want to challenge you with this week is um, maybe take the next week that every time there's a gap, you're going to choose a generous explanation. And some of you are like, I, I do not think I can go a week. Well, that's fine. You know what? Let's just take a day. Can you go the rest of today um, just believing the best in your spouse or whoever you're in relationship with? Can you just go the rest of today? And then you know what? Tomorrow, if it wasn't so bad today, why don't you just wake up tomorrow and be like, okay, I'm going to try it another day. I'm going to try another day. And honestly, days are going to pile up into weeks, pile up into months, and all of a sudden you're going to see this relationship ship that, <laughs> that you thought was headed in a direction you're going to see that thing turn around and start heading in a very different direction because you just decided you're going to take day by day to believe the best and hope for the best
0: yeah and I'll give you a minute it's because of that story they Um, really love that yeah. yeah I feel like I need to deviate from the notes now but I'm not I'm just going to stick to the conclusion that we had um the thing that I would say is, like, for, for a lot of, like, I know there's extreme circumstances. Like, we live in the world of extreme. Um, so if it's extreme, it gets to us generally. And so I understand all that. And there's, there's certain stories and circumstances where it's, like, it's at a level where it, there's a kind of a whole different deal there right now. But I'm just telling you, the majority, I, I think I say this with confidence, the relationships, even in this room or those who are listening and watching, a lot of the gaps that are created are gaps to where if you took Paul seriously, As she just said, you could begin to turn the tide on the relationship. And again, you've never thought of it like that because, again, you think it's reactionary. And I can't trust anybody who is doing things that would erode my trust at some level. But I'm telling you, this is actually one of the things that can actually begin to build the trust in your relationship. Because here's the thing with a lot of people. When you sit down and go, I want to trust you or I do trust you, I have trusted you, but there's some gaps that we have to talk about. Because this happened like five times now. When they sit down and go, listen, I I want to trust you in the large majority of people, not everybody, but a lot of the people, people in this room, people that you're married to, your partner, the internal reaction is going to be, I want to be trustworthy. And when you come from that standpoint, rather than all of the accusations and reading my mind and my motives, I'm just telling you, it keeps the door open for what God may want to do in that relationship and in that circumstance. Because as we've already said, trust equals acceptance in every relationship. The people that you want to let down the least are the people that you respect the most. And when you begin to turn the tide in a relationship right now where there maybe is not a lot of trust and maybe both of you brought in some baggage that you were carrying. And so now it makes it very difficult because of who you are. But as you begin to realize, I've got a choice. I have a decision. I am not forced into assuming the worst. I can believe the best. As you begin to do that, you start to create an atmosphere just like that where you want to let down the people the least that you respect the most. And I just wanna tell you this. I know you've got a million stories, but I just, I wanna get right in with this. And I've said this for years. I've taught on this subject. The quickest way to find out if you can trust yep. someone yep. is to trust them. Yep. That's just a fact. You'll find out real quick. But here's the the inverse side of that. The quickest way to turn someone who is trustworthy into someone who is not is to not trust them. When you create that kind of atmosphere, whether it's in a business, an organization a team or a home, it doesn't matter. It will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And so what are you going to do? J- just for a week. And I, I know that this may be, you-, you may need to go out to the after-party tent and grab a card and get into counseling with somebody. I'd recommend that for about 100% of people. <laughs> you may need to deal with stuff. You-, you may need to look at some things from your past and we're going to talk uh, next week about baggage that you bring in a relationship that you've never looked at before. But what if just for a week in probably about 80% of the gaps for most of you that that you just tend to assume the worst, if you decided, you know, I'm going to believe the best in that, I can tell you by experience, I believe that God will start to turn the tide of something in your relationship and it'll start to create a different kind kind of atmosphere and different kind of environment. And the reality is that our hearts, our even behavior is drawn to those kind of environments, that literally you start to raise the standard of the other person because of what you choose to do in that gap. And so, I want to just close with this because it always points back to Jesus, and we're never going to do a message that doesn't intimately connect you with Jesus and how this relates. But the reality is this: What if we just took Jesus' advice, where He says this, and Luke Luke writes it down? Why don't you just do to other people as you would have them do to you? Like that—that is—that is relationship. And in fact, to go a step further, it's doing to the other person, we talked about all throughout this relationship series, doing to the other person exactly what Christ has done for you. And so what if you, what if you did not what they deserve, but what you would want them to do for you? Because by the way, as amazing as you think you are in this moment, you are going to create your own gaps in the relationship. You're not going to get it all right. And then let's relate it to God. If you're in relationship with Jesus, what if, what if you decide to do exactly what your heavenly father has done for you? He gave you exactly what you needed most, but you simultaneously deserved it the least. And what if you did that in relationship? Because right now, some of you are in a relationship where nobody deserves trust. Nobody, and, and you have been handcuffed to the fact there's no way for it until they change or whatever changes. And, and Paul is going through the inspiration of the spirit of God. No, no, no. You have control over this. And nobody deserves the trust, but why don't you do what your Savior has done for you? Why don't you give what is needed most in that relationship, but what is deserved the least? And when you decide to do this, because here's what happens when you take the Scripture seriously and do what it says, even when you don't feel it. It is an invitation for the Spirit of God to blow His power all over that relationship and those individuals and begin to work miracles and resurrect dead things and bring life to stuff that had been dormant for a long time and do in the relationship what you didn't think possible and what has not happened in the previous three relationships in the multi-generational dysfunction that you're a part of but you serve a resurrected Jesus who left his spirit to do what you could never do and when you decide I'm gonna do it even when I don't feel it the spirit of God has the power to do what you could never do on your own what you never thought possible but his desire is to resurrect rearrange and breathe life into your relationship but he's saying to I've already done the hard work and I'm ready to come with my power, but you got to do what I'm telling you to do right now. And it may mean that you need to go back into that hard situation and do what most people don't have the courage to do and go, you don't deserve it, but I'm going to believe the best anyway. Holy Spirit, move in this relationship.
1: Would you all stand with us as we pray? Jesus, thank you so much for going first in our relationship, Jesus, and for doing in our hearts and lives um, exactly what we deserved the least but needed the most. And that's you came in and you saved us. And Jesus, I want to pray for those right now that maybe they're trying to be in a relationship without you, without ever having accepted you as a personal Savior. And I pray that maybe today would be the day where they'd say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins I believe that you rose again, and I'm asking you to be my Savior and to come in and to fill my life with your love, your grace, your forgiveness, and that you would give me the strength and the power to do what only you can do, and that's for me to lead and to love and to trust in this relationship. And Jesus, I know as someone who had absolutely zero capability to be able to trust, who was so scared and so fearful, what you did in my life. And God, I believe that you can do that and the lives of those who are standing in front of me. So I pray that you would continue to just transform marriages, transform lives. For those, God, over the past couple of weeks have come to us just broken, saying their marriage has just ended. And God, it was out of their control that you would just continue to love on them, to empower them, Lord to just give them the grace that people would surround them, to walk with them. But God, we just pray that you would continue to do an incredible thing here in our environment and in our house. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways?